It's time to get it, and you know how we get it. Americano! The podcast about all things business and personal growth with your host, Eric Vonheim. Today, I would like to welcome Dylan Nathaniel to the show. Dylan, how's it going, brother? It's going very well. Thank you for having me, Eric. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking time to come all the way into the studio today. I know you... Now, listen, you just got back from Hawaii, like, yesterday? Mm Mm-hmm. How do you do this? I mean, how do you have someone? He he's full of life for our listeners out there. This this gentleman right here looks like he has just received a full night's of rest, even though he just came back from Hawaii. So tell us about the trip. Um, the trip was amazing. Uh, we got into Waikiki on that Friday. Yeah, and we just kind of like did more of the local thing instead of like doing the tourist thing because we had the promoters over there and a bunch of friends over there and like showing us around the mm-hmm. island and. It's kind of crazy because I never thought like house music would get this big around the country because it's mainly like a European kind of, you know, it's bigger in Europe. Yeah. But then house, the house wave over these last few years have just been booming. So like you get all these new um, areas that you get to go to and explore and like it's cool to see the community out there. So So you were in Hawaii for an event. Mm-hmm. So they they had brought you out there for was it a festival or was it a specific event? Oh no, it was just a club a club night. Just club night. Yeah, just but, another night. Yeah, but they're so nice that they paid for all three of our nights to stay over there. So I brought my girlfriend and we just kind of took it as a vacation and yeah. a little bit of work, but mainly just vacation. Vacation and, and it's uh-huh. probably not even work for you, right? I mean, you get into these clubs. I mean, you're doing what you love. Yeah. Right. So right. I mean, how is that? That's not a, that's not a bad work day at all. It doesn't. And I, the travel time is literally the worst part about it just yeah. because it takes, you know, sometimes eight to 10 hours. So most people think, you know, you're making all the money in that hour that you're playing at the club, but it's mainly like how long it takes to travel and okay. plane expenses and that kind of stuff. So that factors in, but I mean, yeah, it doesn't feel like work at all. I get to sit on a plane and that's the majority of the hard work. And then I get there and I get to do what I love. So it's a very rough day. You mean you're sitting on a plane and they're feeding <laughs> oh you cocktails and peanuts and pretzels. I get to drink on oh a plane. Boy, rough <laughs> life. All right. <laughs> this is going to be a wonderful discussion today. Before we, um, before we talk about the present and your passion for music and what you're working on and the things you've been a part of, I want to rewind this a little bit. Okay. Help <laughs> us, help us understand who is Dylan Nathaniel, because you've been involved with music for, for quite a long time and not just involved in music, but you're formally trained. Maybe you can share with our audience a little bit about your background and how you got into music and, you know, how did you get trained? I mean, where was this, how did, where did this journey start for you? I think music has always played such a significant role in my life. And I was one of those kids that always had every song stuck in my head where, yeah. you know, all, it's all the stuff that your parents show you. And that's kind of what you get into at first is like what kind of music your parents listen to when you're really young. Right. But then you had an older, two older brothers. So then they kind of got me into more of like explicit rap music yeah, and like punk rock. And then like we were skateboarders. So I was like, diving like big into that scene and like at eight years old I remember just like getting my first guitar and playing my first guitar my brother taught me how to play the guitar so was it electric or acoustical um electric actually yeah family probably loved that sound in the house oh didn't didn't (laughs) go well for the first couple years but then we got good at it so good yeah it was fun Um, so so your family was listening to a lot of music exposed to to a lot of different genres yeah my dad is 
really big into 80s music. So I kind of always grew up listening to 80s music. Yeah. And my mom was big into country music. So I, I'm not like a super huge fan of country music, but, you know, I appreciate the... Uh, like the, Nas the message. X, yeah, yeah. Like that's you know that no, recently little Nas like, X. yeah, little Nas. You know that's like number one or something to that effect. Number yeah. one played. It was funny because actually that that guy little Nas X he put that song out originally by himself and it hit the country charts and it charted number one by himself and then um, something about the the board of country music didn't consider it country music so they took it down. What? So then Billy Ray Cyrus stepped in and heard about it jumped on that opportunity and took Lil Nas and did a remix of their song. So now it's number one on the country charts again. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, when Billy Ray Cyrus steps up, it's official, it's country. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you're so you're exposed to all this music at a young age, um, but at some point you picked a genre or you, or you at least gravitated towards one of them specifically. What was that? Um, well, I did a lot more of like, it's funny because most kids my age, we go through an emo phase of like, okay. my brother always liked classic rock. And then all my friends were listening to more of like the Taking Back Sunday and like more of like the, that phase of like, it was kind of depressing punk rock music. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was just all the emo boys were, you know, like we were all just writing our own acoustic songs and singing and like trying to record herself, sing and play the guitar and stuff. So that's okay. kind of the first genre that I gravitated. That was like, I didn't really like learn from my parents or my brother. It was like, you know, my friends and I kind of dove into that scene. Okay. How, and you did this for how long? Um, probably up until I moved to California. So I was still living in Texas back then with my mom. Okay. So I moved to Texas when I was eight and I lived there until I was 16 and I moved back to California and my dad had always been listening to electronic music since I can remember, since I was, you know, eight, nine years old. He would play like Sasha and Carl Cox in the car, like on the way up to San Diego when we would take vacations and stuff. So okay, it was always like in the back of my brain. I never really like loved it or got into it, but it was definitely always like on the back of my brain. So right. I was just like, I don't know, like it subconsciously by the time I was 16 years old and I moved back, I started listening to it more again with my dad because he was always playing it. Yeah. And then he bought this little uh, DJ mixer thing. Um, it was like a little controller and it was like maybe six knobs on it and it connected to the computer and he was just kind of like messing around with it for the slider and everything, the little mixer, yeah, a little slider yeah. for the cross. You know, in my opinion, that's, that's the funnest part of the board, right? The slider. Yeah. The cross fader. Wiki, 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 wiki. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we, he, he was like, he barely played with it. It was just sitting there. It just sat know? there. He showed me when I first got there, um, I was about 15 and I was visiting him one summer and he was showing me this little thing that he got. So I ended up playing with it all summer and I got really good at like, blending like how his house music and then like just also like random popular songs like back then I was like doing like making my own remixes on the fly of like Black Eyed Peas song and then I would mix it with like you know one of his house records that I didn't even know what what, what I was playing to be honest I was just fooling around with it but then I got really good and my uncle decided to buy me one because he really loved like the Black Eyed Peas remix that I did on the fly and then he was like oh man, I got to get you this. So then I got to take it home to Texas that year and messed around with it a bunch. And it was the same piece of equipment? Yeah, the same the same exact equipment that my dad bought for himself. Okay. It was maybe like a $100 controller. Wow. So, okay, so, all right, so 
real quick. So you're in the car and you're listening to all this house music. Now, the first question I have, did you ever complain like, ah, change the station, turn this off? Or did you just kind of let it roll? No, I think I always really liked my dad's taste in music ever since I was young. So I kind of absorbed everything that right. he, you know, would play. And um, I never had any issues with it. I know my brother would always want to listen to hip hop or like rock music. But for me, I was just, you know, I was so young and I like, just I dig everything, you know. I just loved music, so it was like, like an open book to like learning yeah. new things and hearing new music. So excellent. So, so from that point, you get the mixer, you put some things together. Now, were, are you the type of individual that can hear two different uh, songs or two different, uh, you know, things and kind of piece them together organically? Or, or I mean, how do you go about, you know, pairing music? Um, that's, I, I think that's a big thing I learned from playing the guitar and singing and songwriting from early on is that, um, you hear a certain pitch in your head and then there's certain chord progressions and scales that work well with each other. And as a DJ, if you don't really know like musical theory, basic music theory at first, you're kind of going to have a hard time of when to start a track, which track would sound good with another song. But I think it's more experimenting too. Like you just kind of go with your gut feeling if you playing a song and then you hear another song in your head that would go well with it you can kind of hear it in your head before and then you try it out listen to it in the headphones if it doesn't sound good you know find mm -hmm. another song for you was there a lot of trial and error or did you just sort of instinctively know what paired well um i, I think that like five to six years of playing the guitar and singing before getting into that helped a lot so i was kind of more natural at it and i think i picked it up you know within that couple well, like it was like a month and a half of me being there so I kind of got more into obviously I wasn't like beat matching there was still like a sync button on it but I think it was like pairing the songs and like blending the frequencies that was like very interesting to me okay so you go back to Texas with your new toy mm -hmm. <laughs> and you continue on this journey so when I got back to Texas none of my friends really listened to any house music or oh, they listen like, to country no, they were, yeah. <laughs> this is Texas, yeah, right? This is Texas. Like <laughs> a lot of my friends are still more into like the punk rock scene and stuff and like Blink-182 or like Sublime or that kind of stuff, like more like indie rock. And I was showing them all this stuff and they were just like, whoa, what, what is this piece? It's like technology, but it's music. Okay. And like they didn't really know what it was. But so they were like, interested. Yeah, they were interested, but it wasn't like... And I feel like no one was as interested as me because I feel like that subconscious layer of my dad always playing it. And then I just kind of fell in love and got addicted to the beats of, yeah. of house and, and techno. Would you say that was really a milestone in your life where you shift direction with the music yeah. and you made a concerted effort to focus on house? Yeah, I think um, I was still at the time trying to play the guitar and sing and record my own, like, and have my little bands with my friends and stuff. But, um, it was like my dad got me uh, this piece of software called FL Studio at that time, too, because um, I got grounded from my mom or something. I, I couldn't go outside and hang out with my friends for like a month or two. And he got me this a month or two. What did you do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think when I got grounded, it was like for a day. Who gets grounded for 60 days? I think it was just, you know, the typical uh, I had a girlfriend and then, you know, she my mom didn't really like the, yeah. the things that we were talking about. Yeah, we're going to cut that off. Two months, time out. <laughs> right. She didn't want me to see my girlfriend. So, um, 
yeah, I got to play with this software a little bit and FL Studio was cool because it was like more already geared toward modern electronic music and hip hop. So I was just like starting making random beats with drum machines on the software. Okay. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was still so lost and that software is so complicated at, at the time that I didn't really get too heavily involved with it. But um, long story short, I ended up moving back to California the year after because I wanted to live with my dad and... You know, just got got tired of the, you know, c- controlling mom vibes. And, yeah. you, know, you know, as a young boy, you want to yeah. go live with your dad. Yep. So um, he, they, my dad, my aunt and my uncle, which they got him into electronic music. They all took me to EDC when I was 16 that year. And you were 16 when you went to EDC. Yeah. <laughs> the first EDC I went to was in 2010 at the Coliseum. And that was can, the, the can last Can you legally year. get in at 16? At that year, or were you jumping was, a fence? No, no. Uh, you could get in because um, uh, at the time they let sixteen-year-olds go to raves because I feel like the public media didn't really know what was going on inside these kind of things. Yet. Yeah, and they were still like, oh, all ages kind of event, but they put the the cutoff at sixteen, and that was the last year that it was ever sixteen for the entire United States of for any rave. So that was it. That was so it. You you barely made it. Barely made it that year. Um, had the craziest experiences, but um, the reason why they, they cut it off at 16 was I feel like um, a few underage people died that year. Oh, yeah, but they didn't have their parents with them. I had my parents. Yeah, you were with the whole family, actually. Not just the parents, the whole family was yeah. there. So I had uh, people to watch over me and take care of me. And right. It was a really cool experience because um, at 16, living in Texas, you don't get to see what this scene is like at all and that kind of was the first moment that opened my eyes to everything and i got to see like the electronic music scene in los angeles in 2010 and that was just mind-blowing and it completely changed my life and some of the acts that i saw were swedish house mafia uh, fetty legrand dead mouse wolfgang gartner christopher lawrence which is kind of more like hard trance and like okay my dad was kind of showing me the ropes of all the different genres of electronic music. And like we stopped by like a drum and bass stage and like that was before dubstep was really popular. So it was like this tiny little side stage that all like the dubstep drum and bass people were playing. And it's just, it's funny at that time and how fast everything progresses, but um, it was just the most amazing experience. And I went with my family the first day and then I just went with my dad the second day and we saw Armin Van Buren and I was just, I was hooked on it ever since then. And then I found um, my buddy in high school that also loved Dead Mouse. And we would just sit there during lunch and during class and like share the iPod and show us, show each other new music all the time. And it was just, we got so addicted to electronic music. We didn't even listen to anything else. That was it. That was you it. You were hooked. Yeah. I mean, you were around everything you could possibly want and more and exposed to so many amazing artists at such a young age. Mm-hmm. That, that was, it's just so amazing because, um, I feel like most people my age right now that like electronic music, they have like a very different way, uh, different, like how they got into it. Right. So like getting introduced by your family from an early age and then coming back full circle and then going to EDC with my dad when I was 16 and my aunt, my uncle, that was just, you know, that changed my entire life. And then at that moment, I always knew I wanted to do something with music, but that was like the moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to go full involved and I want to learn how to produce this kind of music. Now, did you, did you see yourself being one of the DJs on stage or did you want to be behind the scenes producing beats? I mean, where, where were you at, at least at that point in time? 
Um, at that point in time, I got better at DJing. So I was, um, my uncle bought me a new mixer and it was like an upgraded version of the one that I was using when I was 15. So now I'm 16 and my dad and my uncle decided to have their joint birthday party at my dad's house in Costa Mesa. And they invited all their friends. And my dad was friends with tons of DJs at the time. And he invited them all over to come. And like, that was kind of my like first debut performance in front of all my dad's and uncle's house friends. party. Yeah, it was a real house party. <laughs> yeah. So you couldn't get into the club back then, you know, there's, there's no sort of clubs for 16 year olds or anything like that. So it was just my first opportunity to play music for other people. And I, that was also a big moment for me because I just got addicted to playing music for other people and watching other people dance to the stuff that I was playing. Yeah. And I'd imagine that was just such a, a phenomenal time for you. You know, you're 16, you have this new equipment, this newfound passion, love for the music, and you have a captive audience that loves this type of music too. Yeah. And they're at your house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Were it, you nervous? I wasn't, I mean, I, at first I was nervous, but then after you get into the groove of, you know, playing and everything, and then everyone was drunk at the time and I was 16. So I was just like watching all these drunk people dance to my music. <laughs> and then I had my buddy there and he, he was kind of learning how to DJ too. So we were like tag teaming and like just having a blast having a great time with it yeah (laughs) which is a big part of the music right yeah for sure and i I owe it a lot to my dad for just being um so supportive and always you know supplying me with the right equipment at the time to like foster this passion and to to grow into who i am today because let's face it most parents just um they're they look at the scene they they see it lots of drugs are involved and they don't want their children around any type of that so they might shelter them a bit but you know instead of that you know my parents did the opposite or my dad my aunt my uncle took me and showed me everything and taught me how to do everything right the right way and have fun when you party and yeah i mean you know parents play such a huge role in our lives right you know for you for myself and others and it, it really just comes down to the way that they expose us to things right so things could either be very taboo they could be very scary but i feel like the parents that uh, you know, expose their children to the environments and then teach them the good and the bad and what to avoid. I feel like those children actually have better results in life. Yeah, totally. Um, you can shelter your kids and you can almost try to prevent them from doing certain things. But let's face it, everyone has a curiosity about the world. And, you know, you can't grow up in the world not knowing certain things or not you know, at least experimenting and trying certain things. And you want to be able to teach your kids to to grow and do it the right way instead of doing it the wrong way, which is like, you know, abusing alcohol or drugs exactly. or that type of thing. Exactly. Exactly. I remember just a little side story. I remember when I was young, it's, uh, you know, at a young age, people, kids have curiosity smoking. Yeah. At the time. <laughs> and uh, I remember it's like, hey, if you want to smoke, then I'll buy you a pack and you're smoking at my house, yeah. you know, and it was like probably just to prove a point that you're going to hate this thing and you're going to get sick and this will be the catalyst for you never to smoke. <laughs> yeah, right. And to this day, I don't smoke. <laughs> right. Like, here's a pack of cigarettes. Smoke as many cigarettes as you want in a row and see how you feel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So moving forward, you know, you, you have this great foundation, right? But at some point you go to school, right? It's my understanding you actually go through formal education around music can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that so yeah while I was still in high school my senior year I was 17 and we have this program at Costa Mesa High School which was um it was called audio technical something it was like a pretty much an audio tech class that you got I think they call it music tech actually 
and um, they had a bunch of Macs with the Logic Pro software on okay. it. So it was different software, but since I've been using FL Studio, which is very similar, I got hooked on Logic and started doing a lot more of that. And then all my friends and I would just make music in um, first period for the entire senior this year. This is in high school? In high school, yeah. Wow. And I'm a We were like cooking eggs and trying to balance a checkbook. You don't hear <laughs> making house music? Well, I think cooking eggs and balancing checkbooks are probably a little bit more relevant to, <laughs> to being an adult, but definitely um, fostered more of that passion for getting more on the technical side because before I didn't really know what anything was. So I was just kind of playing with toys, it felt like. And then now I was starting to understand exactly what I was doing with these toys right. in that class. And after that, you know, um, we... So the instruction was there. Like, so you, in the beginning, you were just playing with the toys, the, the software, trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But now you had an instructor that was actually teaching you some things about the tools? Yes. Okay. Um, his name was Mr. Kumar, and he was also my Algebra 2 teacher. <laughs> math and but he was like your a, house music teacher <laughs> yeah, he was like a different guy though in music tech he was this really fun awesome person and then in math he would just yell at you and like <laughs> like who are you i think they're called dr jekyll mr hyde yeah totally <laughs> bipolar teacher right there split personalities but uh, i love that guy and I'm, i owe him a lot for getting me more into the technical side of music and after high school, did you continue that education? Yeah, after high school, um, I was fortunate that my grandparents, you know, started a, a fund for me when I was born, and it grew a lot of interest. And uh, it was an amazing thing because um, most most kids don't have the opportunity to go to whatever school they want. They put themselves in a lot of debt, and I think that helped me make the choice of you know pursuing more of my passion than trying to make money at the time because, you know, the money was there to go to school. So my dad asked me, you know, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And I couldn't see myself doing anything except for music. So you weren't thinking about becoming a carpenter or electrician (laughs) or anything? No, I wanted to be a pro skater when I was younger. (laughs) That didn't, uh, you know, really work out. So (laughs) I was like, you know, plan B, definitely wanted to do something with music. So that was... But what's really remarkable is that your dad had asked you what you would like to do. Yeah. Uh, sometimes with parents, uh, they have it in their head that they want their children to take a sort of a, a course <laughs> that they have in mind, right? Lawyer, doctor. Oh, yeah. And I think in many ways for they have good intentions, right? They probably want the very best for their for their children. But sometimes they lose sight of the uniqueness of an individual and what things they're passionate about. Yeah, totally. Um, I think my dad uh, growing up in the Philippines and, um, you know, we're Filipino my grandparents, you know, they're very Filipino. So when they come to America from a different country, it's a different set of morals and uh, a different perspective on what what success really is in America. And, you know, at the time they wanted, I'm sure they wanted their kids to be doctors and lawyers. Right. And they ended up coming to agreement. My dad got into computer science, which is, you know, still a very- It's a great profession. It's a great profession. You know, it's a little bit different than what, you know, my grandparents probably wanted for them, but they were acceptive and let him do his path. So I think that had a big factor of, you know, my dad doing the same thing with me. Right. So he asked you, what would you like to do? And you answered music, music. I wanted to do something with music. And my dad was kind of saying, well, son, you're going to have to figure out a way to make money doing it. So what are your options here? And then, um, since I was in the music tech class in high school, um, I thought it would be a great idea to get into audio engineering. And okay. um, that's when I went to Musicians Institute 
in Hollywood. And then we did orientation there and about my dad. My dad loved everything that they had to say, was very impressed by the school. And then we enrolled me into the audio engineering program. And were you sort of just doing um, post-production type work on sound and editing sound? I mean, what type of work were you doing there or at least be learning about? So um, the Musicians Institute curriculum was a variety of different things. Um, first, you learn music theory and that kind of stuff. And then you learned um, how to about like science and math about um, sound. So then you the first few months were definitely rough because it was like, well, what the heck? I signed up to do music and I'm doing all this math and science. And <laughs> You're back in high school with yeah, that algebra teacher. Calculating reverbs and, <laughs> and dead space of rooms. And it was just very foreign, but it was kind of, it was still so interesting to me because it was like, if they would have taught me math in high school like this, then I would have been so much more into it. And yeah, it was kind of cool because um, sound is very, very interesting to me. And I just I kind of became obsessed with just sound and frequencies and, you know, recording and different techniques of like all this different gear that everyone used. Um, Musicians Institute was a very rock oriented school. So mm -hmm. they would teach you techniques of like how Van Halen would record this guitar riff and how they got the tone of the guitar out of this kind of sound or how ACDC's vocals are get very crunchy and how to control the dynamics of the very soft parts and then the very loud parts. And, yeah. you know, we just started getting into like very technical with specific gear that all these um, producers and engineers at that time were using. It's fascinating to me because uh, given my own love and passion for a variety of music, including yours, you know, it's the, the audio side and the engineering component is is highly technical and there's a science and an art, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it was interesting from a hip hop perspective, there's this individual, uh, Rick Rubin. Yeah. And it was interesting because, you know, a lot of hip hop artists, especially coming to the 80s and the 90s, and even to this day, they kind of go to Rick Rubin. Like he's the sensei of <laughs> audio engineering or production. And it's like, there are these notable figures and that just have that ear, the talent, uh, they are just like, they're the magicians. They yeah. can put the sounds and everything together and they know what it takes to do that. Mm -hmm. And so you can have somebody that's extremely talented with vocals or an amazing MC or, but they need these other pieces. They need these other people to bring it together. Yeah. And you were learning this stuff. Yeah, totally. You know, it's just like, um, like filming a movie, you know, the, how many people work on the production. And then you look at all the hit records over the last, you know, 30 to 50 years and, you know, it, it's only one artist that you see the name, but behind the scenes, there's, you know, a lot of 25 people. to 30 people touching the record very good at one specific thing about what they did to the record to make it sound the way it did. So, so cool. So rad. And you, you learned a lot of that in this in this school, in this program. How long was the program? Um, the program was nine months, nine months. It was a very like crash course, um, very uh, it, was, it was more about learning the curriculum hands-on okay. and then getting tested for it. So like we got a bunch of books and followed the, you know, the standard curriculum of the whatever the accreditation was, but um, we barely even flipped through the books because it was more hands-on. That's why I really liked the school. Um, they had millions of dollars worth of equipment for us to play with and all these old school uh, 48 channel boards that were vintage and wow. you know even to this day I take just to get my hands on that type of gear to this day is nearly impossible you know like for the modern producer everyone does their stuff in their computer now but it was definitely a 
a huge advantage for me to learn how to l- use vintage gear at first. And then I right. became obsessed with analog sound and just how the tape hisses out of these things and the different tones you could get with all this different uh, analog gear is like the, all the circuits and wiring of it. And even when you heat it up, you go into the studio and you turn on all the equipment and you have to let it warm up for, you know, like an hour before even using it. Cause one hour. Yeah. Even uh, as like the minutes progressed, you could hear just like the slight nuances and, and the different warmths and tones of how it sounded when you would record things. So it's, it's like just, it's, it's like it's living. Yeah. It's definitely more of a, a humanistic, side to um just like playing with audio it's like now everything's digitalized it's zeros and ones you know it took away that sort of um electronical um wiring and the the little tubes inside the gear that would heat up and like vibrate differently and it's amazing that at such a young age you understand that (laughs) because i would imagine there's uh not too many people your age that have that foundation but yet that gives you an advantage yeah, totally. It gives you an appreciation and an advantage to how you produce music yourself and also understand what options, because I'd imagine knowing that side, you can make some decisions as to, well, how do I want to produce this? Or maybe I want to use this gear and take a different approach. And you can set yourself apart in your particular scene knowing that, right? Yeah, totally. I think that, um, like as I was getting into it, I've started to realize that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are creative musically and, I kind of started out just only focusing on songwriting and then now there's this whole other creative aspect to just how the way that thing sounded like just you know when you would record something the way that you would process it and there's infinite amount of options and then I saw so much creativity in the way I can make even like a kick drum sound and just playing with that and using all these different plugins or all this different gear to get it to have that tone that you want you know, I, I always feel like that's kind of where um, people in the 70s and 80s were trying to get these different guitar tones and like learning about that. And then I started applying that to my synthesizers and like doing different tones out of these synthesizers. So it was just became obsessed with sound and trying to get wow. this different, different approach to kind of the way that frequencies work with each other. And that was like my obsession at the time. Yeah. And speaking uh-huh. of my obsession, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have a, a new track uh, around with this word obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get there, you graduate from school, you, you, you kind of step away from this. You have this great foundation, this appreciation, you're in it to win it. Yep. You're getting after it with your music and uh, bring us forward to today. Okay. So, cause, cause Dylan Nathaniel's now becoming a household name within your particular community. Right. So let's talk about that journey. Uh, so where did also beyond the house party mm-hmm. for your dad and his friends beyond the college education, uh, what next, how did you start making inroads as a young artist uh, for yourself? So, um, I got myself involved with a community of electronic music producers and it was, it was technically at the time not an accredited school, but it was called Icon Collective Music Production School, and it was a music production school that's geared towards electronic music. This, is this LA still? Yeah, this was in Glendale at the time, and um, I think I was the second or third class ever to go to Icon Collective, so it was a very new sort of thing as electronic music was getting more mainstream and bigger and um yeah, we, we ended up finding this um, this 
school through, um, at the time I was in this electronic music group called Prisma and, um, they were a bunch of my friends from Orange County where kind of where I grew up and they were DJs and I met them at some like, um, little like love shop and they were DJing and then we just started talking and, um, they actually snuck me into a club because I wasn't able to get in at the time. And then we put our DJ stuff down and one of the DJs didn't show. So that was like the first time we got to DJ in a club experience. And that was a really cool moment. So hold on. <laughs> Sorry, <I'm, laughs> so, no, I love this. This is a great. So you, you sneak into a club. You just uh -huh. happen to have your gear with you. Um, that was kind of the intention. Like we were, you were going to sneak in with your gear. Yeah. We were going to go to this club and we we're going to try to play at all. Most costs. people sneak in to get alcohol. <laughs> you sneak in with gear to play. Yeah. I like this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So you, what do you, I mean, do you, are you hiding your mixer underneath your bed? I mean, how do no, you get this in? At the time, um, my buddy was just really good at like finagling these situations and <laughs> he runs up. Um, I have all the gear in my hand and they're of age to get into the club. So they bring me up and say, Hey, like we got to go on in 15 minutes. Like we're super late. Like, sorry, we need to get in there. And then the bouncer at the club was just like, okay, they, they didn't they even just think twice. They okay. just assume we had all this gear. We're here to play. They just let us in, didn't check my ID or anything. And sweet got into the club, put our stuff down. And it turns out that the owner that was running that night at that event, was a teacher at Icon Collective, and that's how we found out about the school. Ah, <laughs> now, did they approach you, or did you just... I think it was just brought up in casual conversation okay. afterwards. Like, the guy did not know who we were at all. Um, after the DJ didn't show, and we kind of just, like, took that opportunity, didn't really talk to anyone, just plugged it in and started playing. He, he comes over and looks at us like, wait, these are not the guys we hired. <laughs> <laughs> so then after our set, he comes up to us and was like, Yo, that was dope. Like, who, who are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Where did you come from? And thank you for filling in. Like, the guy didn't show. So, and we were just, you know, super grateful. And we started doing that sort of night at that club for, you know, probably like four or five months. Okay. Now, did your friend know that there was going to be a vacancy with this other DJ not showing up? I mean, how did you... I think the timing was just impeccable. Perfect. Um, yeah. there's. He, he knew about that event because he had been there prior to... And at the time it was like a dubstep, um, like mainly a dubstep club in the main room. And then, uh, there was like a house room and on the sides, it was like not the main event of the club. It was just like this little side room and we just kind of walked in there and just jumped in, just jumped on in. That's fantastic. What a great sort of start <laughs> to your career. So bring it forward today. You obviously have been playing all over the world now. Mm -hmm. So today you're just traveling and producing music. Is it, would that be fair to say? Or, I mean, what else are you working on? Um, well, I kind of do a lot of uh, the behind the scenes mixing for other artists as well. Um, I use my audio engineering degree to um, produce, further produce people's records and do that as well. But mainly uh, traveling and playing shows is my primary source of income and I get to make music and uh, it's gotten to the point now where I play the majority of just all my own music. So it's like most people like that you introduce yourself and everyone's families that get to know you like, oh, you're a DJ. Like, oh, that's so great. Like um, my, my friend's having a wedding. Like how, how much <laughs> would it be for you? I'm like, okay, well now I need to start telling people that I'm um, a musician and an artist, a touring right. artist. So that the way that I just don't get the wrong idea. Cause yes, I DJ, but that's my form and my outlet to play all of my own music that I make. 
right? So. And, and there's, you know, there's a misconception, right? Because there's some people perceive a DJ to be somebody that's just literally pressing play and stop mm-hmm. on, on, you know, MP3s, right? Off their computer. Mm-hmm. And then there are some that have some talent as to, you know, mixing two songs together to make sure it blends. Mm-hmm. And then there's others that are actually creating music in a full experience. Mm-hmm. Those are all very different people. Yeah, so there's definitely those different three types and even a fourth kind of DJ that um, battles each other and like the old scratching and that kind of stuff. So that there's so many different outlets yep. of what a DJ is, but you know, um, the, I feel like it's starting to evolve nowadays to get really involved in this type of scene. You need to produce your own music. Right. Just out of curiosity, since you met, you mentioned the scratching, which uh, was definitely really big in the 90s hip hop world, DJ Qbert and others. Mm-hmm. Is any of that stuff coming back within the EDC world? Yeah, um, totally. Uh, A-Track was the DMC champion when he was 14 years old. And that was, you know, 15 years ago. And he is still relevant to this day. And DJ Craze is still another huge scratch DJ that does electronic music. And even um, my, one of my best friends, his name is Codes, and uh, he kind of grew up with that whole scene of scratching. So he's like the first person to really implement it into modern tech house music. And that, I think that's a really cool approach to it as well. It's so cool. I recently had a guest on the show, Itai, who is this amazing saxophonist. And he was talking about uh, how he has taken his passion for the saxophone and worked a lot with uh, EDC, like the electronic music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's so, so he's working with people like yourself to create new sounds and experiences, and it's, it's really kind of cool to hear. Yeah. Speaking of EDC, <laughs> now it's my understanding that you played EDC recently. Yes. Um, and that was your first time? Yeah, that was my debut performance at EDC. Um, yeah, it was, it was crazy because uh, usually when you first play at EDC, I think – you know, you kind of put at the very beginning and like as soon as the festival's kind of opening and you kind of have to climb ladders to go up this way. But we were fortunate enough to have the closing set on the second day of EDC. So I got to headline technically this stage that was right in the center in the heart of EDC. So it was very open and there was just it was the craziest experience of my life. It's <laughs> incredible. Now, when you when you were up there and you're performing did it ever cross your mind that it, you know, just rewind when you were 16, you know, coming into EDC with your family? I mean, it just that must have been surreal for you. Yeah, it was definitely um, bringing my dad out there. Um, unfortunately, my aunt, my uncle couldn't make it, but my dad um, was definitely there, and he went through lengths to get there too because his flight got canceled. He had to drive up last minute and tons of traffic, and he drove six hours just to see this all go down and just to go back home the next day and he pretty much came just for my set he only got to see one other artist at edc in my set and you know um there's there's a lot of those tender moments where we teared up and we just looked at each other like oh my gosh this is happening (laughs) this this happened like this is insane and so surreal that is amazing congratulations (laughs) brother really that is an amazing accomplishment now will you be going out there in future years or how does that work oh yeah for sure i think um we've our management team um, involves Chris Lake, Fisher, a lot of the bigger players in Insomniac. So um, I got to play on Chris Lake's stage that year, and I think he's going to be continuing to do that, as well as um, you know the the founder of EDC. His name is Pasquale. I got a chance to meet him and further my relationships with him. So I think it's definitely a strong possibility I'll be coming back. 
Excellent. For our listeners out there, you, you're not going to want to miss that when uh, Dylan Nathaniel is at the next EDC Las Vegas, uh, which is always a great time. Oh, yeah. So before we wrap this up, I have a few random questions for you today, Dylan. Okay. The first question is, who's <coughs> one or two or three of your favorite artists in your space? Um, for my specific genre, I would say Dead Mouse was the first person that I really fell in love with and saw that he was doing technical creative things with his music and it was about the simplicity and just the overall textures and tones and sounds of what he was doing and he's probably my first biggest influence in my life um, my second would probably be Eric Prids and um, his alter ego Sirius D really got me into techno music and it was more like the darker side of electronic music the less melodic more just um, straight drums and bass of that kind of genre and I really fell in love with that and then um, I got re-involved with Carl Cox because my dad used to play Carl Cox all the time when I was young and then I didn't really know who he was and then as I started getting back into house music and away from like the harder sounds I went back to more to my roots and I started falling in love more with Carl Cox and just the, the overall groove and like he's got this tropical like sexiness to his music and you know, that's a way to incorporate more of the, the female crowd. So it's just like full circle with Dead Mouse's technical side, um, Eric Prids's melodic side, um, Sirius D's like the darker side to that, and then um, Carl Cox with just more of like the Latin Smooth sexy vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, next question If you could only travel to one more country in the world, where would it be and why? Well, there's still so many places that I, I have yet to experience. Um, so I, I'm always very, very curious about other countries. But um, so far, I would say, you know, going to Australia was the, one of the best experiences of my life so far. And everyone's super nice out there. And just the, the music scene over there is amazing. So I would love to go back to Australia. Yeah, that sounds like a great <laughs> place to visit for sure. Next question. What is the last random act of kindness that you did for another individual and how to make you feel? Um. The, it was at my recent show um, over in Orange County in Huntington Beach. Um, I just did this sort of like tag your friends on Instagram and I'll do a meet and greet and I gave him some merchandise and um, that was a really cool moment because I love connecting with the fans like that. And then as well as um, someone had, I saw the stats on my SoundCloud and someone listened to my EDC set over 150 times so um, I made the initiative to get this guy's information to send him some stickers and some merch as well so that was a cool thing that is awesome <laughs> and that you know that's the stuff that is going to set you apart from other artists I mean just those little touch points those moments where you're you're just showing that you care that yeah, you're paying attention you gotta right? give back to the community because without the community you would have no career no passion and that's how you, you started. I always have to remember myself as that 16 year old at EDC for the first time and being a big role and an artist that can actually do something back for the community now at this age, that I will do everything that I can, every opportunity I can to go into the crowd, hang out with the fans, take pictures, just talk about music production openly, you know, like there's no secrets. Like I wanna be as open and giving as I can to this scene that's changed my life. That's awesome. Lastly, where can people find you online? Online, um, it's just Dylan Nathaniel. It's D-I-L-L-O-N and N-A-T-H-A-N-I-E-L. And that's pretty much all my um, t 
tags for every social media. So um, I have a website, DylanNathanielMusic.com, um, SoundCloud slash DylanNathaniel, Instagram's at DylanNathaniel, Twitter's at DylanNathaniel. So go ahead and give me a follow. Absolutely. Dylan Nathaniel, well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Um, of I'm, course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And congratulations on all your accomplishments. You're out there. You're killing it. You're doing a great job. And I love your music. Thank you so much, Eric. <laughs>